unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach. And David, you teased this one out last week. You said it was going to be the seven deadly sins. And okay, (laughs) I'm going to hand it over to you and trust you. How are you doing today, though? I'm good. I'm good. How about yourself? I'm doing fantastic, and uh, I'm I'm ready for some learning. Okay, well, let's go back in time a few years when I first started copywriting. When I first started, I had a real disadvantage, and I think a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people might have the same one. I had been a journalist, and that wasn't the disadvantage. The disadvantage was the underlying belief I had at the time that people are basically rational. Mm. You just give them the facts, pro and con, for and against, and leave it to them to make a reasoned decision. So when I started to see promotions, copywriting promotions, direct mail promotions, ads that were working based on emotional appeals, and these emotional appeals seemed very foreign and bizarre to me, I didn't understand what I was seeing. I didn't understand why it was working. It took me a while. But eventually, I came to realize what every successful copywriter realizes, and that is people are motivated by forces that have nothing to do with what I learned in school or on the job as a working journalist. And one way I came to make sense of all of this was by looking at what's known as the seven deadly sins. That is, all of these things that you are not supposed to feel and do were, in fact, the very same things that motivated large numbers of people to act and buy. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And before we do, I just want to remind you that copy is powerful and you're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health or finance or business opportunity, then you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. One thing that I, uh, in my background, I've studied economics and I've studied economics from the Austrian school, from the Chicago school, from the Keynesian school. And uh, one of the things I tend to favor more free market economic models, but one of the things that I really had to rearrange in my head is a lot of times in the Austrian free market economic school, they grind down this belief that, that uh, people are rational actors in the marketplace and people will do what's rationally in their best interest. And if you can understand that, you can understand economics and getting into marketing and, and uh, getting into copywriting. That was one of the hardest things for me to get over was that that is completely false. Yeah. um, Wow. I read a book called The Undoing Project by one of my favorite authors today, period, named Michael Lewis. And it's about two economists who, one of whom won a Nobel Prize for essentially bringing what we already know about emotions in direct marketing into respectable academic economics theory. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah, like you, I, I love the idea of free market economics. And I also realize there's another factor that they'd like to pretend doesn't exist. And, and actually, that's sort of what we're going to talk about today, huh? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, sorry for that little side tangent, but let's go ahead and jump back into it. No, it's it's really important because um, a lot of us uh, listening, whether they're, you know, free market economics, whether, you know, they believe in uh, the government uh, providing more support for people, whether they are religious, whether they're idealistic. Um, it that this may rub the wrong way up against some people, you know, because the seven deadly sins we're going to be talking about today, when the Catholic Church came up with them, they were presented as threats to, you know, the maybe the salvation of the soul of the person, certainly threats to living a good life. And so they were obstacles that were being presented to overcome. And I don't want anyone to get the impression that I am advocating in favor of these seven deadly sins. I'm not advocating for them or against them. I'm not a member of any church or synagogue or any other religious organization, and I'm not a moral philosopher in that way. Um, What I am doing is presenting this more as a scientist. This is what I've observed this is what actually happens. This is what motivates markets in the real world where humans are not rational. And you can use it or not. I'm saying this is what people really do. And this is a good way for you to understand it and to appeal to those desires, probably not in the most you know, sinful or awful or destructive ways, but just to understand that these desires are ever present in people. I don't believe I've met a perfect human being yet who's overcome all of these. Don't know of any either. So yeah. Ben Settle told me one time, he said, we were talking about this and he said, look, I'm not saying that I'm happy. This is the way it is. I'm just saying that I accept that this is the way it is. Yeah. And you know, you can still be an ethical person and understand that there are some things in the world that aren't neat and tidy the way you'd like them to be. So now let's get into the seven deadly sins. <laughs> seven deadly sins. Sin number one is lust. Now, what is lust? Well, you know, most people think of lust, they they think of a movie like Body Heat or something, right? They think of someone who's extremely sexually charged up and, and cannot control that desire. And yeah, that's one definition of lust. Um, I got definitions of all these from Wikipedia. I thought they were pretty good, each of the seven deadly sins. And the definition of lust from Wikipedia is Intense longing, intense longing, uh, you know, obsession, I guess, much more than just sex. And to give you an example of this kind of lust, think about collectors. And I'll give you a personal example from my own life. About two and a half years ago, I picked up interest in something I'd been interested in as a teenager, but uh, let slide. And that was the guitar. And I picked up my old guitar and thought I'd buy another one and then another one. And 17 guitars later, I think I'm (laughs) 
I'm almost full now. You know, you, you think about collectors, that's a kind of lust in a way. Um, I, I, I wouldn't call him a, you know, a person overtaken by lust, but my friend Joe Vitale has more guitars than I do, I believe more than 17. And then Keith Richards, the rhythm guitarist for the Rolling Stones has 3000 guitars. I would call that extreme lust. And so from the point of view of a marketer, somebody had to sell them those guitars, right? Mm -hmm. And so you think about people who collect things, not just guitars, but all kinds of things. Um, lust, lust is a very powerful driver. How do you tap into that lust in your writing? Well, you need to be aware that it exists and, and then you need to speak to it. Um, so if about a year ago, someone had, had written to me and said, you know, you've got your guitars, but there's this one tone that you've been trying to create and no guitar has the right feel for it, but check out this blues boy. This is a really great guitar for that particular tone. Um, I, I, I think, you know, you, you need to know your customer well, and you need to address the lust that's going on in their mind that has made them act the way they have so far. And you just re trigger it. I think when you said, check out, when you said, check out this blues boy. And, uh, what I was thinking of in my head was, uh, some, some of the like Harley Davidson, just because I'm, uh, I like motorcycles and, uh, I've been looking, I've been shopping for a motorcycle lately. And uh, one of the motorcycles that I want to get is a Harley Davidson Fat Boy S. And the reason why I brought that up is because some of those ads that I read about it, they just make the bike look so sexy. And uh, I, there, there's just something to it that when you write, maybe it's with the visual imagery as well, but there's definitely a way to write that makes something just appeal to that lust, that sex urge without being... Um, a physical sex, but just saying, Oh my gosh, that bike looks so sexy or that guitar looks so sexy. It, that that's true. And I mean, I've seen Harley ads and I don't even like riding on motorcycles, but man, they, they look great. And I can understand why my guys have more than one, you know, it's <laughs> just, <laughs> all right, let's get to number two, which is gluttony. Um, the second deadly sin is gluttony. And the, the definition from Wikipedia is overindulgence or overconsumption. And of course, this certainly appeals with food. I mean, if you've ever seen people, you know, line up at these all-you-can-eat buffets, I, I think I used to like that. I can't understand why. When my stomach starts to feel like it's going to explode, it's not really <laughs> fun to eat anymore for me, but it hasn't always been that way. And you know, the, the idea of, of gluttony is, um, it's just very appealing. Um, there are people who can't get enough of anything, not just food. It's usually things that you consume. So it might be food or it might be something you drink, or it might be something that gets used up, some kind of consumer item, um, wine club. So, Wine clubs. A friend of mine told me about this wine club where you could get $19 or $29 bottles of wine 
for $5 a piece as a trial offer. And so I was going to buy six of them and they said, Hey, you know, for another $10, we'll give you six more. And all of a sudden I was ordering a case of wine when I don't drink nearly as much wine as I used to. Um, some weeks I go without drinking it for most of the week, but all of a sudden I, I thought, wow, a case of wine. And then they just kept coming back to me and I kept ordering again. <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, I am not the only one because they got a really big business. They got a lot of other people doing it. So, um, you know, appealing to people, if you think about it, even, you know, the, the stores like Costco and those warehouse stores, it's the same idea. Now people justify it by saying, well, it's cheaper because you're paying less per ounce or per pound or per inch or whatever, but it's gluttony. Mm -hmm. And if you're selling in that, it's good to understand that these are the things that people justify it by. And, uh, and, and I don't want to say, um, I don't want to say, uh, taking advantage of it, but definitely know when people are looking at this, they know that it's more than they can eat, but they're also going to rationalize it by saying, well, I'm getting it cheaper in bulk. So you need to emphasize, Hey, you're getting it cheaper in bulk. Absolutely. Yeah. And understanding the rationalizations people come up with for this are important. I agree with you. That's good. Now the third one is greed. So Third deadly sin is greed, and the definition from Wikipedia is artificial rapacious desire and pursuit of material possessions. And I would say that greed often is is very closely, um, well, it's 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 very closely aligned or very closely connected to status signaling, to um, objects that say, I'm rich, or I'm smart, or I'm successful. Um, think about luxury items. Most Nobody needs them. Why do people want them? And you could say greed is part of that. Not that they necessarily want a lot of them, but they just have this desire for a material possession that's going to do more than functionally take care of them. And so you can appeal to that, you know. Um, uh, I mean, it, it'd never be quite so obvious as, you know, what are people going to think about you when you walk into the meeting with a gold iPhone? But... <laughs> You could imply that and probably sell a few of them that way. Um, so these first three, lust, gluttony, and greed, they're m more about untrammeled desire. And most people, if you look at it in depth, you'll find they have a hard time controlling their desires. And so if you can find a way to tap into one of those desires, it'll make your copy stronger. Hey, let me ask you a question. Does it take you too long to write your copy? And if it does, have you ever wished you had a proven system to write it faster? Well, if that describes you, then you'll want to know about high-speed copywriting. 
This is a home study program that has helped a lot of people write profitable sales letters in as little as five hours. No, it's not a bunch of shortcut tricks that leaves you with cookie cutter sales letters that people can ignore. It's about writing full-fledged, memorable, response-getting sales letters much faster than it usually takes. It's tested and proven too. High-speed copywriting will ease you through putting together an original, powerful sales letter and putting it together in record time. You can find out more at highspeedcopywriting.com. By the way, this is one of the very few programs that Bond and Kevin Halbert have given their Halbert seal of approval to. So check it out today, highspeedcopywriting.com. Thank you. And now back to our show. Okay, number four, sloth. Now, a sloth is an animal. I, I saw a sloth bear, a picture of a sloth bear the other day, pretty ferocious bear. But that's we're using sloth here as a descriptor of a human condition, uh, state of mind. And, and the definition from Wikipedia is physical laziness, unwillingness to exert sloth. Okay. Now, this is hard for some people, especially, and I mean copywriters and marketers. It's hard to get this because they might say, my prospects are very hardworking people. I'm not going to appeal to any sense of laziness. I would challenge them on that. You see, even hardworking people who work hard at one thing might be lazy at another, unless they are the true energizer bunny perpetual motion machine. Eventually those people, you know, start to get tired at the end of the day. The thing that changed this all for me was Joe Carbo's book, the lazy man's way to riches. And that thing, I don't know how many millions of copies it sold. It sold, I think more on the title than on the content in the book, but it was still great. And the ad that sold this incredible, you can find it online if you search hard enough, The Lazy Man's Way to Riches. But all of this said, don't ever call your prospect lazy directly. You can say The Lazy Man's Way to Riches like it's some other guy, but don't say, hey, you schmuck, you're lazy. I know it. You don't want to work hard. So you pathetic piece of unambitious crap here. No, don't do, don't, don't do that. Um, but you don't want to call your prospects lazy. There is an easier way. You simply contrast the hard work required with other solutions. And you can do this with words. You can do this with photos. You can also do this very well with video. Contrast that hard work to how much easier your solution is. And you'll make your point, and that will help you make your sale. Mm, kind of like how to lose five pounds without having to starve yourself for three months. Right. That appeals to sloth. It doesn't sound like it, right? But it does. Mm -hmm. Okay, number five is wrath. And I'd say in this era, in the, <laughs> what are we now, in the teens of the 21st century, this is the unchallenged winner. Wrath means uncontrolled feelings of rage. Uh, if you want to see an example of this, all you have to do is go outside or turn on your TV. I mean, people are really angry these days. Um, we could argue about whether or not their anger is justified, but you know what? It really doesn't matter. 
They're angry. That's their state of mind. That's top of mind. That's how they wake up in the morning. That's how they go to bed at night. So if you can show that you share their rage, that you feel it's justified because you feel the same way and you understand their reasons for it, and you can tie your offer to a solution that gets a person out of that rage and back to justice, back to normal, back to the way things should be, whatever that is, it's a very powerful way to make a sale. Yeah, I, I call this tactic identifying an enemy and helping your prospect throw stones at that enemy. That way they feel justified in their rage. They feel like they're actually doing something and it helps position you as an ally, as somebody who's on their side, which when it comes to um, suggesting a solution, uh, they're much more likely to take your suggestion uh, to heart because they see you as somebody who's on their side, as somebody who's helping them throw rocks at their enemy. And uh, it, it, again, it's, it's one of those things that can be abused. But if, like you said, if you're using that as a way to get on the same path and redirect them to a path that actually provides a solution for them, then it's, it's kind of different than just uh, yelling about something and, and stirring up their anger and then just leaving them angry at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, you can have a great time, you know, having a, um, a griping session with somebody and you can give them a great time by telling them what's wrong with the world that they agree with in your copy. But unless you can harness that tremendous force into the promise of a solution and the desire to buy your solution is not going to make you too much money. Yeah. And it's not really going to help very many people. No, no. All right. Let's get to number six. And this one's my favorite. It's so deadly sin. Number six is envy. And the definition from Wikipedia for envy is insatiable desire or jealousy. I think this one is my favorite because, because when I think about envy, I think of it as fear of loss brought right into the present, right here, right now, right in front of you. Mm. So let's say that you've always wanted to have a Bentley and one day your neighbor shows up in a Bentley and it's clear that it's not a rental. He just bought it. You feel all this envy. There's a totally irrational thing going on in your mind that because he has one, you never will. It's not true. There, There's a factory. They make Bentleys in the factory and you come up with the money, you can get one too. But for that moment of pang of you know, bad feeling, you, you, you have that fear of loss that suddenly he's going to be the one who has, he's going to be the guy at the top of the totem pole, at the top of the pyramid, and you're not. And it works. It's, uh, it's based on fear of competitors getting ahead of you. There's a, a saying, keeping up with the Joneses. All of that fits in with envy. Can I ask you a question about that? Oh, yeah. Uh, you mentioned bringing fear of loss right right into the present. Uh, I know that one of the things that I've discovered and, and has been borne out as truth over and over again is that uh, people are more likely to 
take action to prevent loss than they are to to gain something. So if if you tell somebody they have to do something to earn a hundred dollars, they're less likely to take that same action as if you say you have to take the same action in order to prevent losing a hundred dollars. And so when people think of envy, they might think of, well, you're trying to get them to earn something. But when you say um, bringing that fear of loss into the present, it kind of gives it a new twist. Would you mind expanding on that as far as prevention of loss versus trying to attain something? Yeah, I think that's really a different thing. I, I think your point's really well taken. And in fact, in the Undoing Project, that was one of the irrational things about human beings they found, the very point you just made. Um, the economists did. Um, this is not fear of loss of something that you already have. This is fear of loss of something that you wanted that now you think you'll never get. It's a different thing. But it is, it's, it's, it's kind of the same in your mind. It's kind of triggering the same impulse though. Oh yeah. I mean, it, it's just such a very powerful impulse. It, it gets you right into this survival mode for, for a microsecond, but sometimes the, the neurochemicals that start, you know, flowing through your brain are, are enough to move you into action. Okay, cool. I, I just wanted a little bit of clarification on that because it was, it was a, uh... It was one of those that I was trying to wrap my brain around. Thank you. Sure. No, great question. All right. And number seven is pride. Now, in the Wikipedia definition of pride as a deadly sin, pride is defined as corrupt selfishness, putting one's own desires, urges, wants, and whims ahead of the welfare of other people. Okay. There's another way to look at pride, though, and that is being proud of yourself, being proud of your kids, being proud of your team, being proud of your extended family. Um, if you want to appeal to patriotism, being proud of your country. Um, if you want to uh, extend it to environmentalism, being proud of the planet surviving. There's all kinds of things you can do with this. and. There's even an old headline that um, gets gets brings you right back to the present, to the immediate. It's build a body you can be proud of. So if you can appeal to people's pride in the right way, that's very powerful. Yeah, it's like the SUV commercials that show the soccer mom that's the hero that delivers the pizza to the soccer team or that mm -hmm. is able to... Uh, the the um the SUV or the yeah the sports utility vehicle dad who's able to tow somebody out um, of a bad situation it's it's definitely appealing to that pride and and um it's not really a bad thing it's people do like to feel good people like to feel like they're the hero and and there's nothing wrong with um with I guess exploiting that and letting people know that your product can help them get that sense of pride. Right. I mean, so that's great. And one of the key things is in every case, you know, you're not you're not selling wrath or selling envy or selling pride. You're selling a particular experience a person is going to have or avoid based on the benefits of using your product or service. So um, the seven deadly sins, again, are lust, gluttony, greed 
sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. And I just want to underline this one point. They won't do all the work for you, but they will point you in a good direction. And if you're ha- if you're having trouble coming up with a hook or any kind of emotional motivator for some copy that you're using, go back to this list and brainstorm a few things, see what you can come up with. So that's what I have to say about Seven Deadly Sins, Nathan. What do you think? <laughs> I think you navigated this very successfully. This is one of those, uh, you got to, you got to, <laughs> got to be very careful because there's some emotional uh mind there's emotional landmines when, when you're talking about emotional motivators and you didn't call me preacher dave once i appreciate that because i'm not <laughs> nice well thank you dave david i i thought this was a fantastic episode what do we got coming up next week well all the way from new orleans uh we're going to get a special guest who's going to talk about writing killer funnels. And he's really good at it too. And he's also really good at explaining it. In fact, he hosts a very popular podcast himself. All right. I can't wait. And I know who the guest is and uh, I'm not going to spill the beans. So keep it a secret. (laughs) (laughs) So we will see you next time when we have a very special guest on the podcast. Until then, make sure that you're checking out the Copywriters Podcast website and subscribing on iTunes. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. See you, everybody. If you found this show valuable and you'd like to get it in the ears of other people, the best way to do that is to subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes.